Hi, this is Jill Harrison, Executive Director of the National Institute on Aging Impact Collaboratory at Brown University. Welcome to the Impact Collaboratory Grand Rounds podcast. We're here to give you some extra time with our speakers and ask them the interesting questions that you want to hear most. If you haven't already, we hope you'll watch the full Grand Rounds webinar recording to learn more. All of the companion Grand Rounds content can be found at impactcollaboratory.org. Thanks for joining. Welcome, everyone. This is uh, Susan Mitchell, um, one of the PIs on the NIA Impact Collaboratory. And today we're having a follow up podcast to our Grand Rounds uh, yesterday. And we have uh, with us today two members of our technical and data core, David Dorr, who's a professor of uh, and vice chair of medical informatics, clinical epidemiology at the Oregon Health and Science um, University School of Medicine. And we also have Vinod Vistavarn, assistant professor of learning health sciences, University of Michigan. We had a, a terrific grand rounds yesterday entitled Using and Leveraging Electronic Healthcare Systems Administrative Databases for Identifying and Studying Outcomes of Pragmatic Trials in People Living with Dementia. So welcome, uh, David and Vino. Thanks for being here. Hello. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Great. So that was a, a really terrific grand rounds. As I, as I said at the end of the grand rounds, this feels like a field very much in uh, rapid motion with... Um, a lot of evolving and improving methodology. Um, David, I'm gonna start with you. Um, one of the slides you had yesterday had a picture of sources to go to for various standardized algorithms for people setting out to do these types of uh, studies and you encourage people clearly to try to not make this up, to use one of these standardized algorithms or approaches that were um, published and validated. There still seems to be a, um, a fair bit of choice, though, within what's published and what's standardized um, out there. And so my question as I saw that slide was, well, how do you choose among what's out there for your particular, for one's particular trial? Because there, there's a fair bit published in this area. Not all the same, I might add. Yes, not all data are the same and not all what we call concept sets to define a phenotype or the phenotype is a sort of physical man manifestation of a disease for uh, informaticians like Vinod and myself. They're how you define a condition like dementia for people living with dementia or how you identify caregivers using coded logic or using sort of advanced algorithms that might even search through data. So we encourage a standardized uh, approach and, and really for most people, it's actually a goal of the technical data core to um, get better and better answers to this and keep them updated um, as uh, we go along with the collaboratory. Right now, there are a couple of sort of simple recommendations I have for people. And that's that one thing that people can do right now easily that's probably part of their preparation is actually look in the literature. And when they're looking at the literature for what's been done before and where people have done similar things, they might look in their trial design for identification steps from those other studies that are quite similar to their own and then look to the degree in a different way than they might normally to say, what is the degree that this group um, validated their approach for identification? How well did they identify people using these algorithms? And did they publish 
the codes, the concept sets, as we say, um, that they're using to identify this, if they did, or they referenced a, a standard source, then that might be a good indication that that's the first step for them to go. Um, the standard sets that we sort of, uh, the places where you can go look besides the literature, if there's not much out there or you're not really finding one that's standard, there's a couple different places. One is um, identification of dementia is done in lots of different ways. And there are standard ways that people um, are already doing this outside of trials. So a classic case is electronic clinical quality measures or um, you know different uh, concepts that that go into sort of assessments and you can look at what we call the value set authority center which is um, at the nlm it's easy to search on and they have these standard sets available where you could just go to a site and search on dementia and see where that's been used before there are similar ones for the um, for long-term care um, definitions. Ones that um, for groups that are pretty savvy, we often recommend they go to phenotype knowledge bases. And there's actually one called PHEKB, P-H-E-K-B, that has standard sets and tell you how well they work. And there's one called Phoenix, P which, I'll, uh, which is P-H-E-N-X. Um, the difference between those is PKB is all EHR based um, and Phoenix is really focused on research study use of these concepts. So I'd really encourage people to look in the literature if they're finding what they need, um, try and link that source down, even ask the authors. Otherwise, we have these sources that people can go to to see a, a good match. And one thing about this is none of them are perfect. So don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Try to find something that's been used before, and that will really help a lot um, in terms of moving you forward in your identification using standardized approaches. Awesome. Thank you. Very helpful. Um, you know, one thing that um, really distinguishes um, pragmatic trials and any trials, frankly, in, in dementia is that often we're dealing with dyads. So not just the patient, but patient giver dyads. Um, we talked a lot yesterday about identifying patients with dementia. What pearls or anything, or is there anything out there, any standardized approaches to identifying their caregivers, either using claims or EHR data um, um, so that these dyads can be studied pragmatically? Yeah, this is an, an, a very interesting area, and Vinod may have some, some comments as well. Most of my research has been done in um, primary care, looking at issues related to complex uh, conditions and situations. And so um, one of the things that we did in our work was identify caregivers because so many of the, the groups that we were working with were um, had caregivers. And um, one way that people do this um, now is to record a little more regularly in the EHR some kind of key contact and give that uh, a little bit of a role. So there's there's sort of information it's sort of in the demographics section of the ehr but structured information and many 
health systems now do have a place where you store um, information about if there's a primary caregiver. It's not used reliably and it's not coded in a way that we could sort of use the same approach everywhere, but it is possible to do that. Similarly, people are now recording surrogate decision makers um, as part of um, some different uh, legislation that was passed, especially for post-hospitalization, where you're trying to identify caregivers that way. And so that can be used as kind of a proxy. But a lot of times, to be honest, this is in the narrative note um, and it's just not recorded. I should mention um, that Jennifer Wolf out of Johns Hopkins and I, um, she's the PI, have been looking at proxy access. So someone else having access to your electronic health records, often through the personal health record, you know, the patient portal. Um, as a good proxy for this. Um, and so to encourage that, to get all caregivers with that access, and then it's very easy to find who the caregiver is because you actually have their information as part of that proxy access. Great. Vino, do you have anything uh, anything to add? Yes. Uh, so uh, thanks, Dave. I think uh, he kind of um, uh, correctly identified these two places where uh, information about caregivers would be available. One in, um, in in the form fields that kind of ask specifically who would be your surrogate and the other in, the, in clinical notes. There are some recent uh, K proposals that have uh, tried to kind of uh, identify caregivers in a systematic way from clinical notes. So so this, this area is uh, getting actively researched on right now. Uh, one bit I would want to add is how our pilot applicants kind of looked at this problem. Uh, uh, they, uh, so one of the things that was interesting uh, when I looked at them was um, just asking them uh, about uh, the people they care for and then looking for uh, mentions of dementia or uh, mild cognitive impairment in um, how they described uh, their, uh, the, the people they're, they're caring for. And so it was using almost like a proxy, a self-disclosed um, uh, proxy, so to say, of identifying uh, caregivers for people living with dementia. That's that's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah, we're uh, one of the supplements we're doing in Impact Collaboratory is uh, uh, trying to improve advanced care planning and assisted living. And um, this particular uh, healthcare system um, has a patient portal, and for patients with dementia, it's largely the caregivers or the proxies that are accessing it. So we're that's clearly in this um, electronic health record. So that's the way we're we're doing it. Um, great. Um, David, yesterday, uh, I was particularly taken with your description of what you, um, were calling sort of almost a milli, uh, a, a rapid validation, um, of approaches to identify people living with dementia in, a, in your particular healthcare system before embarking on uh, a large pragmatic trial. In other words, to make sure whatever, standardized, hopefully, methodology you've chosen actually works well in your particular system. Yesterday, I remarked that that sounds like a pretty tall order if you're uh, just trying to layer that onto already probably a complicated project. And you describe, I'll call it a mini validation um, process. And I, I thought this would be something that would be really good, actually, to the field if um, 
you could describe this for a broader audience and um, people could use it. So can you tell us just a little bit uh, about your approach? Yeah, so in general, um, the way we approach validation, especially from other, uh, from standardized approaches, so we're just implementing it locally, but somebody else has developed it. And it, it is a quick and dirty, it is sort of a mini validation, and it is agile. And we use that in a very specific way in software development. And it's really important here. And I describe sort of my uh, basically relative amount of error um, in validation checking. So what we'll do is we'll get the algorithm, we'll um, work with whoever's implementing it. It's usually somebody with closer access to the data, but we'll say in an agile process, you are talking, you're communicating frequently. And so what we'll say is implement the first um, set, just send us five patients back or a small number. And then we'll validate the first five. And if there's any errors in the first five, we know there's probably a greater than 20% error rate right now. And that's too high, right? One out of five would be greater than 20%. So they need to fix that. We'll do five again after their second round. And, it, and basically, we'll try and get that expected error rate down to whatever level it needs to be. You know, for, for a lot of these, if we're just going to be validating them further, 5% error is totally great. It's fine. Um, you know, positive predictive value. So, you know, the number that come back that are 100% accurate is often low, right? So the, the percent of those coming back that will be eligible is often low in many of these algorithms. And so we don't need a really great um, example. We just need it to work the way we expect it to. And so I often end at 20. If I get, you know, 19 out of 20 are accurate enough, um, then I know I have about a 5% error rate. The difference is we report that. We record that process and then we report um, how often we think it's an error, in part just to plan our recruitment um, and our approach, but also, I think, to sort of further validation um, overall. And I think that's, you know, a perfectly good way to um, do it for the validation without um, burdening. And it takes a very short time, but it does require sort of a frequent communication with the people implementing it and making sure they know you want them to not try to make it perfect first, but to try and implement what's there and get you a response quickly. Yeah, that's great. I, I would, again, encourage a one or two pager, even that we could post on our website of like a how-to so that, you know, as the pilots come along, we don't have to re-explain and re-explain, but it's, um, you know, a general approach, certainly um, it's, um, you know, somewhat subjective, but I think that it would be really helpful for the applicants and for the field to sort of um, jot that down in some way for reference. A question for Vino, uh, you have a conference coming up. Um, it's a workshop. We're calling it Future Priorities for Identifying People Living with Dementia from Digital Healthcare Data uh, for Embedded uh, Pragmatic Clinical Trials. Could you tell us a little bit about this conference and what it's about and what you're hoping to accomplish? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we we planned this as an in-person workshop, a hands-on workshop, but because of uh, COVID uh, pandemic uh, restrictions, we are going to move it online, but still would want to keep that uh, closed group understanding. Um, I should not say closed group, a small group 
um, understanding of how different uh, groups around the country are looking at this problem um, and, and in different settings, right? In nursing home settings, in um, academic medical center settings and so on. And uh, interestingly kind of highlighting within the sessions that we have designed, how um, people uh, went from, uh, how, their, how their thought process evolved over uh, the process of going from, let's say, structured uh, data to a more um, uh, approaches that kind of use electronic health records in addition to, uh, to just the structured information. So that was one example. Another one is to have a panel discussion that brings in uh, those who work in nursing home facilities uh, and uh, other advanced care organizations along with those who work in hospitals and ED um, with ED patients to try to kind of see how they are trying to identify the same group of patients but have access to different data elements and how can um, we come to a, some sort of a consensus about how these uh, approaches um, uh, differ and how they could be kind of utilized across settings. Well, that's great. I've been um, advocating for this kind of uh, workshop for a few years now, so I'm very excited about it. And uh, I think it'll be a great um, contribution to the field um, for the products emanating from this uh, workshop. Um, I want to thank you both. Uh, I look forward to much more coming out of the technical and data core. Um, you've already been uh, so helpful with all our uh, pilots and uh, with real practical um, help that um, I know will advance uh, this field. So thank you both and ha have a good afternoon. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's Impact Laboratory Grand Rounds podcast. Please be on the lookout for our next Grand Rounds and podcast next month.